Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where three friends, nope, shit, the planets, the planets are going to align first, then Sometimes. three friends are going to get together and discuss true crime, yeah, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they can get into in this podcast. This is episode 28, and it's going to be a weird one because it's our Halloween, Halloween. episode. <laughs> <laughs> That was My waveform looks like a maggot. Ew. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's gross. Spooky. <laughs> Spooky. So this is kind of be like kind of a random catch-all episode. I think each one of us has prepared something to tell the other people. Yeah, Meredith has prepared a couple of things. Yeah, I got a little out of out of control, but it's gonna be a real treat. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. And we're gonna end with some witchy bullshit and talk about Samhain. So yeah, we're awesome. all over the map with this one, guys. <laughs> yeah. So how do we want to do this? Do we want to start with Halloween trivia? Yeah. Ooh, cute. Yeah. I am not the most technically savvy, but I am going to share my screen so you can see. Oh, it says host disabled. Oh, Sarah. I said that you can. Hang on. All participants. Yay. I'm a part of something. Let's share. Share that. Can you guys see that? Uh How cute. Yes. This is adorable. Okay. I suck at trivia, but I'm excited anyways. This is also just the cutest trivia, like oh, the background and everything. So I wish oh you my guys could see this. God, I know. Maybe I'll post this picture on the website. Yes. Just at least the, the frontest piece of the presentation. Well, we could put some of the trivia on social media if people are interested in it. But okay, so Halloween trivia and do, do, do. there is a prize. <gasps> and I looked this up last night because... I don't live in an area where Uber Eats delivers, but you oh. two do. Oh, shit. And I can have alcoholic beverages delivered. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Cocktails nice. on delivery. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like 7-Eleven or something called, I think it's like Joe's or Bro's Liquor. So you can pick oh, yeah. a beverage and then I'll have it Ubered to you. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I'm sitting up straight. I'm going to take it seriously. Hannah's going to win the trivia because she always does. And then I'm going to request that she comes here and then we both get it delivered. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) You can pick something that will be tasty for both of you. So are we ready? Ready. Five questions. So which state produces five times more pumpkins than any other state? Oh, God. Do we have like do, do, do? We probably can't use that. that. That song, though. Oh. Right? And that just makes me sad because Alice Trebek is dead. I know. I guess I'm just going to say California because it's big. Okay. Sarah? I feel like I remember reading something about there being a pumpkin festival in a certain Midwest state. Mm. And I feel like as that state, they would have to do the pumpkin festival there because they do maybe produce five times more pumpkins than anyone else. Or they just build up pumpkins. But I'm going to go with something like... Fuck. Uh, uh, well, it's Name not Wisconsin, a Midwest like state. Yeah. 
<laughs> Maybe Wisconsin. Then pumpkins and cheese. Pumpkins and cheese? Weird, sure. but okay. Womp womp. Womp. Uh-oh. It's Illinois. Oh. Oh, no. I knew I it was almost, Midwest. You were such a <laughs> You were close. You were cl- I'll give you half a point for that Ooh, one. Oh, thank you. So Illinois has 15,000 acres that are devoted wow, to growing geez. pumpkins. And they grow approximately 500 million pounds annually. Good Lord. All right, Illinois. Woo! The whole state is just one big pumpkin patch. Got right? very into Halloween. How <laughs> exciting is that, though? I yeah. love pumpkin patches. This is a cool thing for Illinois, because I don't know anything else about it. Yeah. So, question number two. Is the monster mash? Damn it. You t- <laughs> it's the monster mash. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Hannah gets those points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the question for our listeners is, name the Halloween-themed hit song by Bobby Pickett from 1962. It was the year for me. I was like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. And it is the monster mash. Ding, ding, I ding. I do have to throw something out here, though. I learned Dr. Dre's early work as a producer. He did produce a song called Dracula and someone else. It was like called Monster Rap or something. And it's amazing. Oh. Oh, Leave oh I think you remember hearing that. Amazing. Monster Rap. I think it's called Monster Rap. It's Dracula and somebody else. I forgot the other person, but it's really funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, and by the way, Hannah, I was able to watch at my mom's house the In Ice Cold Blood finally. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so so good. good. I love that so much. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it is Ice Cube and he's delivering murder stories, which are, it's just fabulous. It's so good. (laughs) But back to trivia. So question three. Which famous magician died on October 31st of 1926? Is it not Houdini? Harry Houdini. It is. Good job, girls. And this is such I'm a creepy picture. I know. That's such a creepy <laughs> the picture. you. <laughs> it's like he's being Uncle Sam, kind of. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, Harry. All right. Number four, I think. Am I counting right? Yeah. Oh, The mask worn by Michael Myers in the 1978 movie Halloween was created by using an existing mask based on which actor's face? Damn. Well, fuck if I know. I don't know. (laughs) No guesses? Rock Hudson. No. Do you want a clue? Yes. Star Trek. Uh, William Shatner. Uh-oh. There you go. Damn it. That's okay. Good. And I have to say, I was actually telling Sarah this this afternoon, but this last weekend, I watched the original Halloween for the first time. <laughs> oh, Andrew's okay. roommates rented it because they'd never seen it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it was okay. But then we watched another movie named Warlock, and it was the best movie I've ever seen in my life. I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, It's pure 80s. It's so good. This witch and this witch hunter get like time traveled to now from 1600s. Oh my God. Special effects. Oh my God. It's so good. I'll have to check that out. (laughs) It depends what you like, but it's so good in like a 80s, just like ridiculous way. I had a really good time. I'm not really into like slasher films or anything, but we watched one called The Last House on the Left. And it's like a 70s, 80s. And that is like the worst fucking movie on the planet. But you can't (laughs) stop watching it. Because you need to know like like how it ends, right? But it's like awful. Just absolutely awful. 
Mm, I love um, it. But this is the the William Shatner, which was based Yeesh. on Captain Kirk's uh, that death is mask. so creepy. And what they ended up doing is they cut the eye holes bigger and they painted it white and then brushed out the hair. Oh my god. That yeah, is so that, creepy. that changes things to know that it's Captain Kirk's face. Right? Ah, so weird. If you're not into slasher movies and you need, you know, like something funny to think about, then you can think about it being Captain Kirk running around. And there's very little slash in mm-hmm. the original Halloween. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I know some people die. Yeah, but it's kind of off screen. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're a little bit more, uh, I don't know, like Heidi about it. It's okay. kind of funny, too, because it, it is a lot of tropes that you see a lot more now in horror films. But okay. it's, yeah, I guess it was worth it for the history. It was fine as a movie. Okay, fair enough. And our final question, what was candy corn originally oh. called? I know it's my least favorite of any candy. I know, but... it's so gross. I actually kind of like it. Okay. <laughs> you could have all the candy corn. Yes. That was originally uh, well, it's called Brock's Turkey Feather. Turkey Feather. Wait, that's Those Thanksgiving. Uh, I have no idea. Okay. I'm Sarah? going with Turkey Feather. Turkey Feather. Uh, I Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was called Ah Fuck. Ah, it's not Ah Fuck. Um, it was originally called Chicken Feed. That's so cute. And it had a chicken on the box. So. <gasps> I love oh, it more now. It's called Chick Corn Feed. Corn with a K. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was a predecessor of oh, Corn with a band. Heidi. Heidi? I'm not sure. Not this Interesting. Maybe it got bought by Brock's Chicken Feed. That's really cute. I like yeah. the little chickens even. It was They're very so cute. cute. A cute little tail. They kind of look like peeps. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Which, I also Which are hate. also disgusting. You also yeah. hate peeps. <laughs> yeah, those are all bad. <laughs> but that is my trivia. That was fun. Hannah won. Hannah Woo! wins. Win, win, win. So you need to tell me what kind of beer or alcohol that you would like, and I will have it Ubered to you at a day of your choice. Yay! Okay, we'll do. Awesome. God, I love October. I know. I gotta look to. I think it was like, was it Joe's Liquor or Seven Eleven? Were like Might the two choices. Joe's Liquor, I think. Is Joe's. that the one on Eighth? I don't know. I think so. I downloaded the app and everything, and then I was looking last night, and I was like, "Ooh, I can. I can get alcohol delivered." <laughs> Just not to you. Just not to me. I can't get it. But yeah, it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Bros Liquor. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of then. I think it's on 8th. So yeah, you can pick something out from their beer or spirits and I will get that shipped over to you. That's so sweet of you. I know. It's so nice. And I will perfect trivia and we'll do trivia again at some other time because it's fun. I love trivia so much. All right. Should we seg you into murder? Yes. Who wants to murder first? I can murder first. Okay. Yeah, this one's this one's a little bit of a heavy hitter. Oh. But I stayed oh. within the Oh. Okay, I'm just going to wait. What? what? <laughs> I mean, it's not super heavy. You I mean, you saw the name that I picked when I sent out oh, the Oh, I didn't. I oh. didn't see you picked one. I was thinking of a heavy hitter that I saw on the list of like Halloween crimes 
and the toolbox killers. Oh, yeah, oh, I saw that too. Like, I was like, nope. It's not that one, but... Not doing that. I'm going to go. It does involve one of Hannah's favorite post-mortem activities. Oh. Well, is it cannibalism or is it necrophilia? Nope, it's necrophilia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting this whole list of post-mortem activities that I'm going to be known for. <laughs> Wait, how many more are there? Ah, uh, well, actually, I feel like there's like nine to ten different types of necrophilia. Okay. Ooh. Maybe that could be an. We can talk episode. about that later. We should go into the different types later. Okay. Yeah. But first, <laughs> so this is Halloween themed, which I mean, the the first part of it's not going to be super Halloween, but the last part is. I'm going to tell you about John Douglas White. Okay. So he was born on May 20th in 1957 in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. So he's still a, a tourist. Yes, he's a Taurus. Oh. <laughs> By one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real close. He did serve in the Navy, but some sources say that he was actually kicked out. Um, and other than that, there's not really much known about his young life. Um, there's not really a whole lot in there. He was then known to have worked for a company as a long-haul trucker. And then he, when he was 22 years old, it was stated that he lived in Battle Creek, Michigan, and he was married. Pretty sure Battle Creek, Michigan is a, a seven-day Adventist hotspot. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll look it up. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> so in 1980, he's 22, and Teresa Etherton, a 17-year-old girl who lives down the street, knocks on his door. And it's March 19th, early, early spring slash still winter if you're, I guess you're in Michigan, so it's winter. <laughs> but she mistakenly knocks on the wrong door when she's trying to go to her friend's house. And so John answers the door and surprisingly invites her to his basement to check out this slot no. car racetrack that he had set up. No, no. No, no. And she's like, no. Trying to be friendly to neighbors and she, you know, says, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go see it, but then I have no. to go to my friend's house. So Ooh. they go down there and without warning, as she's descending the steps, he attacks her and stabs her 15 times with a six inch knife Never and then chokes meet her. your neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> don't go into their basement alone. Yeah. No I don't thanks. think we have basements in California, but. This is true. You know. So stabs her 15 times, chokes her. She's, you know, not doing so hot. He said, mm -hmm. quote, you're going to go now. <gasps> I'm really sorry you had to go like this. But what the fuck? You're just a woman. <gasps> what Rude. the fuck? Also, what the fuck? Yeah. Ah. So then he lays her down on the floor and wipes the blood from her mouth and kisses her. And Ew. then lays there on the floor with her and holds her hands for a while. No, 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 no. Just kill me. <laughs> Yeah, no thank you. Then he just gets up and leaves. What? Like, uh, yeah. Bye. So, amazingly, Teresa has survived this brutal assault, and oh once she realizes that he's actually left the house, she escapes the basement and runs, or crawls, Wobbles, or however you go to get help. And so then John was arrested, and he was sent to prison for five years. Five? That's it? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. five years because of a lot of different things that go wrong, because she didn't actually die and this, that, and the other, they said <laughs> that went to wrong. five years. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's problems in the, I guess, justice department at yeah. this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But while in prison, John tells the prison psychologist that he fantasizes about killing his prosecutor and defense attorney, who are both women, and that he wants to have sex with their dead bodies. He really Ew. does not like women. Mm-mm. So, um, surprise, surprise, he only served two years, though, because mm. he appealed on the grounds that the attorney did not raise an insanity defense, and he won. Oh, wow. Oh. Okay. 
So then he was released from prison after only two years in 1983 and was given additional two years of probation and mandatory mental health treatment. Sure. I mean, I'll say he needs that after the confession he made to the prison psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah. uh... So Teresa Etherton, having survived, had no idea that he was out of prison. No. Nobody let her know. No. This wasn't, there weren't any, like, practices in place or laws to be able to tell victims, like, hey, by the way. Like, none of that. Beyond Um, the lookout. Oh, my God. So she was standing in a line, um, like, I think at, like, a store, and she recognized his voice. It's a voice that she's been hearing in her nightmares ever since. And she heard his voice while standing in line and turned around and saw him smiling at her. Ew! Oh, fuck no. Oh my god. Ugh, I hate it. So he was just out there. Yeah. Ew. Great. That's fucking awful. Yep. So after his release, he's still married, and they relocate to Kalamazoo. I forgot he was married. Yeah. Somehow his wife can be in such strong denial that, yeah, he just needed some mental health help. Oh, yeah. Just to not, you know. Stab someone 15 times randomly. And then kiss them and leave them on the floor in your basement. Lay down with them while holding hands. So, yeah, they move to Kalamazoo and he starts rebuilding his life and his friend circle. And no one in that town has any idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 1994, and he begins to have an affair with Vicky Sue Wall, who is a co-worker of his at an industrial laundry company. It's like those big giant machines. <laughs> I was that, like, like, that just sounds funny, but um, is his wife going to leave him now? <laughs> <laughs> well, not yet. Okay. She doesn't know yet, even though like the rest of the town pretty much knows um, that they're having this affair. But on July 11th of that year, Vicky was seen getting into his pickup just before she disappeared, and this was around 3 a.m. that night. So immediately when she had gotten into the truck, John had strangled her with a zip tie around her neck. Jesus. Zip tie. And then drove off to a rural area, raped her dead body, and left her body in a ravine. Oh. So four days later, on July 15th, her relatives reported her missing, and the police tracked down her car in the parking lot where she'd left it that night where they met up. Mm-hmm. They obtain the video surveillance from that, like, convenience store, and then they see that she got into his truck that night. But John stated that he had later dropped her off alive and well. Of course he did. Of mm-hmm. course. But they didn't quite buy it. And, but I mean, but without a body, they can't really do a whole lot. They didn't yeah. much yeah. further. They were just kind of continuing where they could. Soon after this, John checks himself into the Kalamazoo Regional Psychiatric Hospital. And oh, then, all by himself, huh? All by himself. I mean, good idea. Yeah. Six weeks later... In September of 1994, a hiker found drag marks in the dirt off the side of a trail, and he followed the drag marks and found then a trail of clothing, and at the end of that trail was Vicky's naked and terribly decomposing body in a ravine. So the hiker runs and alerts police. They arrest John at the psychiatric facility and use luminol. This is one of the early parts of, like, luminol use, I guess, um, that's been documented. And they search the truck, and they find just a few teeny tiny blood spots. But because it's 19... It's not quite developed enough for them to use this for DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't get enough of a sample. But it didn't matter, though, because John admitted to strangling Vicky to death anyway. Thanks, okay. John. And according to him, he and Vicky were having an affair, and she had threatened to go off and tell his wife, so he killed her. Okay. Uh, Still doesn't explain why you abused her corpse, but no. whatever. <laughs> no, there's a lot of questions here. So in the Vicky Sue Wall murder case, the authorities allowed him to strike a deal with the prosecutor. So in return for his guilty plea to involuntary manslaughter, the judge sentenced him to 8 to 15 years. 
<sighs> yeah. That's yeah. it? Huh. Yeah. I don't know how. what's so involuntary about it. He had a fucking zip tie. Yeah, he intended to kill her. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Anywho. Mm-hmm. So... Then at his May 1995 sentencing hearing, he told the judge that Vicky's death had been a tragic accident. And it's at this point that his wife finally divorces him. Thank you. Did they have yeah. kids together or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess that oh. might make you stay longer. But yeah, get out of there. I'm sorry. I have children. And if my husband is <laughs> yeah. murdering people, that's like, bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good point. Uh, I'm out. Good point. I'm done. No. <laughs> I don't have children or a husband. What do I know? So while in prison, John says that he, quote, found God and got his pastor's license. It's a miracle. Is it a license? Hallelujah. I guess it's a license. Like A license to... to practice religion? It's like a certification kind of thing. Well, I, I guess you have to get a certificate to be an ordained minister, something like that then. Something like that. We really don't know that much about religion. No, we don't. No, I'm bad at this. <laughs> But the whole found God in in prison thing. Yeah. Okay. All right, George Bluth. Um, (laughs) So John White walked out of prison in 2007 after serving 12 years of his sentence. Mm. Like so, like middle. Yeah. Yeah. Not not short, but not the whole thing either. Mm -hmm. He then moved his. (laughs) I wrote this. He then moved his single ass over to Mount Pleasant. (laughs) (laughs) It's a quiet rural area. Their local church needed a pastor. Apparently, that's a thing, including, like, ex-convicts into your church community because of second chances and all. As the pastor. Yeah. Like, maybe into the congregation. He's he's saved. Who else could be closer to God than someone that God has directly saved? Hasn't he saved all of them? Uh, I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the story that he spun was that he had been involved with a woman who was addicted to drugs, and then she overdosed, and he was blamed for being involved with her death. Oh, brother. And, of course, with their faith and all, they did didn't want to actually look into the facts and just took what he said as truth. I mean, it's 2007. They've got internet. Someone yeah. could have looked into this guy, but like, huh, what What really did you go to prison for, for 12 years? Yeah. All right. 2012, John becomes engaged to Sally Jane Gay. Lucky lady. Yeah. She's a woman <laughs> who is a part of his congregation, and she's also a Sunday school teacher. And she has oh, three children, one of which is a 24-year-old daughter, Rebecca Gay who then moved in just a few doors away from them in the mobile home park. Not a separation between church and state. You could just marry one of your congregants. That's fine. Uh, Sure. (laughs) Power and balance, but all... Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So his... So John's fiancé is Sally... Sally's daughter is Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Rebecca has also just recently gotten engaged, and she's signed up for community college classes, um, and she has a three-year-old son named Conway, and things are looking good for Becca Boo, which is her beloved nickname. Oh, okay. that's really cute. Becca Boo. So since John was a preacher and engaged to her mother, Rebecca trusted him and allowed him to watch her three-year-old son Conway while she was at work and attending classes. Mm-hmm. But she had no idea, like who she was signing up for, right? Yeah. Around 3 a.m. on October 30th, which, isn't it called Mischief Night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. John comes to Rebecca's house. He had had a few beers, and he brought with him a rubber mallet and stood over her while she slept. Ew, no! So she starts, you know, kind of stirring She woke awake, up. Like, she woke yeah. up. 
And as soon as she started to wake up, he beat her over the <gasps> head repeatedly with that rubber mallet until she fell unconscious. And mm. then she's laying there on the floor, bleeding from her head wounds, obviously not doing well at all. He ties a zip tie around her neck and tightens it so that he can stand back and just watch as she struggles for oxygen. Oh, oh my, my God. God. So zip ties are his thing now. Yeah. Yep. Zip ties are definitely his thing. Then he rapes her dead body. Ah! Ew. And poor little Conway is still sleeping in the next bedroom. Ugh. I mean, at least he's sleeping. Yeah. So then John cleans up the trailer, wipes up all the blood with cleaner and paper towels, and then takes her dead body, puts it into like these construction bags, double wrapped, puts it in the bed of his truck, and then takes her cell phone, purse, and some other belongings with him and drops them off in a nearby dumpster. He put the he put her body into this like ditch behind a stand of pine trees about a mile away from the park from the trailer park. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back to his trailer to get himself cleaned up, clean out his truck, and then he walks back to Rebecca's house, gets her car and keys, and then drives her car to a nearby bar to make it look like she maybe got a ride home from someone the previous night. And the seems like he little has a boy time. was at home by himself. Yeah. The whole time? Yeah. I mean, this is all happening, like, in the middle of the night, and it's the morning now. Okay. And so then he comes back, and he just walks right in, like, no problem. Hey, your mom had to go to work early. Um, dresses <gasps> up little Conway in his Halloween costume. No, oh, my God. No. And gets him ready to go and drops him off um, at a meeting spot in a parking lot for his biological father, who had visitation that week. Thank God. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't hurt the boy but like i don't know if we're speaking too soon either uh conway ends up okay okay because okay. you were just making this like smile like uh like a i know because that's while i was reading this i was like oh please no please no okay Conway's conway. fine. okay conway is okay. not his not his kink he likes no he, he likes, likes small women women dead women he likes small dead women and zip ties So when Rebecca didn't show up for work, everyone immediately knew that something was up. It wasn't like her to flake like this, and she'd been so excited for Halloween. And so her coworkers go to her house to check on her and see her car parked at the bar nearby when they were on their way over. Mm -hmm. They alert the police and say it's really weird that she's missing. John feigns worry and starts going around town looking for her, supposedly. He goes to that bar and restaurant combo and speaks to two women who work there and, well, their names are Janet and Kathy. And they get kind of like the heebie-jeebies, you know, hair on your neck standing up. Yeah, because this guy's a creep. Yeah, they already don't like him. And they have no preconceived notion like he's a pastor or something. Yeah. Like this is just a random guy, creep. Yeah. Pure and simple. I mean, it's a small enough town, like, maybe they knew who he was, but still didn't, like, like him or didn't, weren't part of, like, the church congregation or something. Okay. Yeah. But they at least note that he's acting weird. He's acting a little bit too concerned. He says, I haven't seen her anywhere. Have you seen her? And it's like, you know, start with the, I haven't seen her anywhere. Like, trying to force that fact down someone's throat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Obvious. So they, they take note that he's acting weird, and they actually notice that he has a really large scratch on his nose. So when the police wind up going there too, they take their statements and they let them know what they saw. Mm-hmm. And then the the crime scene investigators that processed Rebecca's trailer for physical clues ended up searching John's home where they found all of the bloody paper towels and other incriminating evidence. Oh, he didn't do that good of a job. Nah. He gave up like at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Like pretty bad. I think the car, moving the car to the bar to make it like someone must have given her a ride home and then didn't actually take her home kind of feeling. 
He thought that was enough. Yeah. But, like, same day, Halloween turns around and, like, already has this shit. (laughs) Yeah. Real quick, open, closed. So when he's questioned by detectives and the Michigan State Police, John confessed almost immediately and then led the officers to where her body was dumped. Okay. He told a... authorities that he'd been fueled by watching pornographic videos that involved oh my God. That, doesn't that night. Do it. Mm-mm. One day later, November 1st, John White was arraigned in Isabella County District Court on the charge of first-degree murder. The judge denied him bail, and Good. then in April 2013, he pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of second-degree murder for killing Rebecca Gay. Second degree. Seems pretty planned out to me, but okay. <clears throat> yeah, so the judge sentenced him to 56 years and three months. Okay, he'll probably die by then. Yeah, he was 55. He was going to okay. die. Yeah. And he has to spend his like elderly years in prison. Rough. It's got to be uncomfortable. Suck. Yeah, sucks to <laughs> yeah. suck, bruh. But he didn't last that long because on mm. August 28th, 2013, a prison guard at the correctional institution found him dead in his cell. What a fucking himself. pansy. Yeah, took the easy way out. I just feel so bad about her mom. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Her mom could never trust again. Ever. Right? Ever. Yeah. The thing I'm going to end on is just a, a quote. John White's son, Gabriel, summed up his father's life the best when he said, quote, he was completely crazy until the end. You're right. <laughs> The end. Piece of shit, dad. Jesus. Yeah. I'll follow up and say Battle Creek, Michigan is an Adventist hotspot. And uh, you can go to the Adventist Heritage Museum. The historic Adventist village is there. I wouldn't recommend it. Looks boring, but um, you could. You could. You could. Okay. Cool. All righty. I don't know. I know like three things. Science, murder, and Adventismness. So. Oh, that's right. Because you went to all the schools and stuff when you were little. And, and old. high school. And college. And my oh, master's and degree. Jesus. My PhD is the first time I've been in a secular school. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit much. All right. More Halloween crime? Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to take us back in time again. Woo, but not woo. too far. Halloween Small night. Small time capsule. Small time capsule. <laughs> but still a completely different to what we live today. Okay. Halloween night, 1957, Sun Valley, California, which is a Ooh. suburb of Los Angeles. Okay. It is 11 p.m., a very respectable time for Peter Fabiano and his wife, Betty, to start getting ready for bed. Respectable 50s couple. Okay. Do they have the separate beds and everything? No. <laughs> Unclear, but perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll look into that. As soon as I get into bed, the doorbell rings, and Peter grumbles a little bit yeah he got back up grabbed a bowl of candy and opened the door while saying it's a little late for this isn't it yeah well no a deep voice answered oh jesus oh shit (laughs) the doorbell ringer was taller than the average child and was dressed oddly even for halloween in men's clothes with just a masquerade mask as the half-assed costume basically oh so up in the bedroom betty heard a gunshot and then the sound of a car speeding away (sighs) she ran downstairs to find her husband lying in the doorway unconscious with blood pouring out of his chest Oh. oh my god betty's daughter called the police and peter was rushed to the hospital but he never regained consciousness oh no i guess this being the 50s betty was sedated for a few days you know, they need to bring that back. I was like, actually, 
this is a stressful life event, you know, but like, you know, so she was sedated for a few days before she was questioned about anything. Yeah, understandably. But I'm like, I did laugh a little bit, but then I said, actually, that sounds great. So Mm -hmm. while she was sedated, the press dubbed this the trick or treat murder and newspapers ran dramatic news stories such as, quote, a murder as fantastic as the spirits of Halloween. Okay. Their idea of fantastic and mine are very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause of death was simple. One 38 caliber bullet to the chest. There were no gun shells left at the scene and nothing had been taken. So to the police, this seemed like it looked like a gang hit. But the Fabianos were clean. So Peter okay. had been charged with one misdemeanor count of working as a bookie in 1948. Well, you know. You know. Hmm. You gotta make ends meet somehow. I was like, still not 100% sure why being a bookie is a bad thing. But anywho. <laughs> but he went, you know, completely straight after that. There's nothing on his record. Uh, the Fabianos appeared to be your standard middle-class white family living in the suburbs in the 50s. Okay. Peter owned several prosperous beauty shops, and Betty was a homemaker with two children from a previous marriage. Okay. Uh, when Betty was finally questioned, after being sedated for a few days, no, no bigs, <laughs> she told the police she thought that there had been two people at the door, and hmm. one sounded like a man, and the other sounded like a man impersonating a woman. That's pretty specific. I know, Betty. What the fuck? That's creepy yeah and then when asked if peter had any enemies betty could come up with one name joan rabble so joan joe lady joan okay so in 1957 joan rabble was a 40 year old divorcee who moonlighted as a writer and a freelance photographer taking several trips to hawaii hi fan club president She met the Fabianos when she was hired by Peter to work in one of his beauty shops. Joan would tell the police that the Fabianos were, quote, two of my closest friends, end quote. Which was probably half true. She was very close with Betty. But Betty said she was Peter's enemy? Oh, we're not done yet. Oh, okay, sorry. So Joan was very, very close with Betty. Close enough that when the Fabianos hit a rough patch in their marriage, Betty came to live with Joan while trying out a trial separation from Peter. Mm -hmm. Ooh. This seems to be one of the happiest times in Joan's life, so she wasn't particularly pleased when Peter and Betty reconciled. Okay. And she was especially displeased with the condition that Peter had placed on the reconciliation. He did not want Betty to see Joan or bring her to the house or talk to or about her ever again. This sounds like Joan maybe was more interested in Betty. Sus! Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Joan was arrested on November 16th, told the police that she had been home the entire night of Halloween, and pointed out that her car had been parked outside all night. So, take that. (laughs) Which was true, but with a little digging, the police found Margaret Barrett, who was a friend of Joan's, who told the police that Joan had borrowed her car on Halloween night and had driven about 37 miles, because apparently Betty is checking the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the mileage when she lets her friends nosy, nosy. borrow the cars. <laughs> she borrowed my car and drove 37 miles, just like very specific. I know. Yeah. That's how much gas she owes me. I know, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Penny pincher. Oh, Margaret. And Joan said, oh, yeah. I mean, I did go and get groceries that night. 37 miles away. Round trip. Yeah. This is LA. Probably not in LA. I mean, I live in the country and it's still only, it would only be like six mile round trip to go to the nearest grocery store. Okay. So. The, yeah, a, a bit. Yeah. But there was nothing solid to hold her. So the police were forced to release Joan and continue searching for clues. 
They, they try and map how far it was from her house to... Yeah, like, they get the pinpoint at Margaret's did, house. They, if and... they did, they were missing a critical part of the puzzle. Oh. Dun-dun-dun. Uh, About a month later, the police received an anonymous tip. No idea where this tip came from, but it led them to a rented locker in a department store, which I guess is a thing in the 50s. Okay. The locker had a 38 caliber pistol inside, and yeah. ballistics confirmed that it was the murder weapon. Okay. Going back through gun store records, they found that the owner of the gun was one Goldine Pizer, a 40-year-old wow. medical secretary. Goldine. Or Goldine. Let's do Goldine, because Goldine is, sounds real weird. Goldine. <laughs> Thank you. Because I'm going to say her name a lot more. Goldine okay. broke immediately, saying that, quote, it's a relief to get it off my mind, end quote. She also told police that, quote, I had no motive personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was always oh. easily influenced. I have been impressionable and always trusting, end quote. <laughs> Okay, okay, Goldine. So, how did Goldine tie to Joan and then to the overall murder? Mm hmm. Goldine and Joan were coffee clatch friends who had met three years previously. This is not a great example of coffee clatch friends, but it sounds super fun because you basically get together, drink coffee, and gossip. Hmm, okay. We do that with beer. Yeah. So, good times. Beer, beer, clatch. Beer, clatch, friends. Yeah. After Betty had broken ties with Joan and moved back in with Peter, the coffee clatch conversation centered around one topic, which was how much Joan hated Peter. (gasps) She described Peter as, quote, evil and vile, a man who was destroying everything around him. Uh, Joan ranted and raved about Peter, saying that he was abusive that he was dealing drugs, and just overall a monster. Wow. None of this is substantiated. Could be true, could be not. No idea. Uh, but Goldine believed every word, and after two months of this, she had started to hate Peter as much as Joan did, even though Goldine had never even met him. Well, there you go. The impressionable part. Yep. So, having reeled Goldine in, Joan began making plans. Uh, Goldine said, quote, Joan and I discussed killing Fabiano many times. We were undecided whether we should use poison, a gun, or a knife. After okay. about a month hmm. of discussion, they settled on gun, and Joan gave Goldine the money to purchase one. <laughs> How nice. How thoughtful. Thank you. Merry Christmas. I'll go ahead and pay the bill on that murder weapon. Uh, yeah, I never wanted a gun. Thank you. <laughs> Joan also took Goldine on several trips to the beauty shops so that Goldine could identify Peter, and they figured that Halloween would be the perfect time to commit the crime, since a person wearing a mask would look totally normal for that one night. Except for at 11 p.m. It's not even a good mask. It's like the mask, it just kind of like, like just goes over your eyes. Bones. Yeah, like it's not even a good mask. On Halloween night, Joan borrowed her friend car, picked up Goldine, and drove to the Fabiano's home, where they waited in the car for hours until they saw the lights go out. All right, go do it, Joan told Goldine, who was able to put a bullet right in Peter's chest despite the shakiness of her hands. Damn. I mean, that's pretty close. I really close. Mm-hmm. Goldine ran back to the car where Joan kissed her and said thank yeah. you before driving away from the scene of the crime. Well, now. Okay. They dropped off the car at the friend's house and then went their Poor separate- Margaret. <laughs> Margaret's just like, I did not. The fuck? You didn't even give me gas money. 37 miles! <laughs> um, <laughs> after dropping off the car, they went their separate ways with Joan telling Goldine, forget you ever knew me. 
Oh, harsh. Well, that's going to be kind of hard because she's like, <laughs> I just murdered a guy for you. Yeah. She obviously did not know that Joan was really trying to get back with Betty. She probably had an inclination afterwards. <laughs> yeah, she might have figured it out. But um, <laughs> the next morning, Goldine realized that Joan had never told her how to dispose of the gun. So she rented that department store locker and just stashed the gun in there and moved on. I mean, it's not a bad idea, I guess, but I wonder who ratted her out. I want to know who ratted her out. Maybe she did it all herself. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe she was like, I just can't live with the guilt, so I'm going to just call it in myself. She was pretty, like, Joan Joan didn't know about the... Joan would not have called. Trust me. Okay. Joan had no guilt about this. And she didn't know about it either. No, but I mean, she wasn't trying to set up Goldine, like, no. You might want to check out this locker. No. Like, yeah. Joan was back over. Goldine at, was uh, like, I forgot about you, uh, Goldine. I'm busy. Yeah. And Goldine was like, ah, shit, I have a gun. So, you know. <laughs> Got it. So, it's somewhat unclear what Joan and Betty's relationship actually was. Uh, the newspapers would refer to their relationship as abnormal, which in the 50s basically meant... There's lots of things that are Homosexual. <laughs> uh, it does seem clear that Joan and Goldine preferred the company of women, and also quite clear that Joan was intensely attached to Betty, but mm-hmm. we never learned what Betty thought of Joan, both before and after the murder of her husband. Yeah. Hmm. And the newspapers definitely weren't going to ask because lesbians are icky. <laughs> They'd rather sweep it under the rug than yep. admit that, yeah. I bet there probably wasn't a lot of press on it just because of that. Yeah. Which also plays a role in the ne- this next part, where both women were examined by multiple psychiatrists to determine whether being homosexuals made them unfit to stand trial. Oh, Jesus. Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> but one psychiatrist did say about Goldine Pizer that, quote, the only thought she had was that she had saved her friend, Joan Rabble, from an evil person, end quote. Not, I mean, I think Joan Rabble might be the evil person, but sure, sure. Yeah. But if Joan spent that much time, like, bad-mouthing... Oh, yeah. No one knows exactly what she said to Goldine. So, I mean, she could have painted a really ugly picture. And if, you know, you care about your friends... Yeah. Right? So you'd be like, yeah, the fuck, man? Why is, why is this dude messing with you, you know? I don't think I would kill anybody if you guys told me that they were really, really bad. You'd just be like, well, fucking leave them then. <laughs> or call the police. Yeah. Or, like, booby track him. Like, subtly fuck with him so that he always is uncomfortable. Play with his mind. Yes, play with his mind is what I would like to do with him. Don't let him get a solid night's sleep I for want him to suffer. Years. Right? Yeah. Scorpio. Uh, <laughs> both women pleaded not guilty to charges of first-degree murder, with Goldine adding, by reason of insanity, claiming... <laughs> That she was just easily influenced. Some people are, though. It's not... It's true, but it's not reason of of insanity. You poor little sheep. (laughs) She really was a sheep, though. And dancing around a lot about how she may have been in love with Joan, too. Mm -hmm. Goldine showed remorse and cried while on the stand, recounting the events of that Halloween night. It seemed like she had a lot of guilt about it. She confessed right away. Mm -hmm. It really weighed on her as a person. But Joan, on the other hand, was described as either hollow-eyed or stone-faced, although she would occasionally slip into a nonchalant, 
unnerving smile during the trial. Ew. Joan also refused to comment at all on the murder, not to police, not during the trial, and not after the sentencing. She oh, never really? said a word. Wow. After a plea deal, their charges were reduced to second-degree murder, and they were both sentenced to five years to life in prison. Five to life? Yeah, which is such a weird range. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be half a decade. It could be five decades. Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's up to you. Yeah, and it is unclear how much time they actually ended up serving, but they were both eventually released, and Goldine Pizer pops back on the record in 1971 when she was made an officer of the Miracle Mile chapter of the Professional Women's Club, which might have something to do with golfing, question mark. I don't know what this is, but she died in 1998. Betty sold the beauty shops, remarried in 1966, and died in 1999. Okay. And Joan, not a single clue. (gasps) Nothing, huh? Nothing. Without a trace. She disappeared without a trace, like a ghost. Crazy pants. Lesbian (laughs) ghost. That really scared the police. (laughs) I was reading something else too that like the cops kept calling them dames. (laughs) Oh god. Yeah. Well, you never know though. Goldine could have gotten her revenge. Oh. Oh shit. She was in love with Joan. And Joan used her. Right? And Joan was Mm. in love with someone else. Right? So she could have just played dumb the whole time to be like, hmm. I like the idea of Goldine being the mastermind, actually. I like that, too, because she comes off as kind of a a dummy. Yeah. Most of the time with this story. Oh, I don't know. Oh, that wasn't supposed to happen? What? And literally, (laughs) since we have no idea what Joan and Betty's relationship was like, Mm -hmm. no idea whether Betty had any hand in the murder as well. I would lean towards no. It sounds like no. I would think no. She had to be sedated. She was hysterical, it sounds like. You might be hysterical regardless, even if you had planned it to see, like, blood pouring from a man's chest. Sure. But um, I'm pretty sure she didn't know anything about it. It very briefly just skimmed over her and Joan's relationship. So not sure if whether it was completely abnormal or if Joan just <laughs> really had a an infatuation that wasn't reciprocated or anything like that. Well, and maybe it was slightly reciprocated while they were living together. Mm-hmm. But then Betty was like, nah, I'm good. I have to go back to my husband. I have two kids. Like, right? These are the priorities of my life. And while this was fun for a few months, like, okay, whatever. But because I also don't think that Peter was abusive, at least any more than a standard 50s husband was. And I don't think he was dealing drugs. So I think he was just a regular, just a dude, milk toast dude. Maybe misogynistic. Who knows? Yeah. Probably misogynistic. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to give Peter all the credit, but I don't think he's the monster that Joan made him out to be, because otherwise I don't think Betty would have gone back. Yeah. I honestly don't know where her kids were during the separation, and I don't know why they would stay with Peter, because they weren't his kids. Oh. Maybe they were with their biological. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, that's the trick-or-treat murder. Woo! Very interesting. So keep your porch lights off and on Halloween and don't give out candy. Yeah, don't answer your door. Just eat it all yourself. But I do every year. I never have my porch lights on. Don't talk to me. (laughs) All right. Well, like I said, I have 
some stuff for you, I've got gals. Some stuff, <laughs> stuff um, and things. Woo! The first thing I kind of wanted to talk about is I I did a little research into the most common crimes that are committed mm. on Halloween. So we've got, of course, alcohol related crimes, which includes underage drinking. That's oh, like for sure, one of the number ones. Disorderly conduct, vandalism, car theft, assault, and then unfortunately, sexual Ooh. assault also made the list of the that's what you're getting booked for on I think smaller theft probably happens in every household sure because wait what because there's always parents stealing the candy from their kids when they get home. <laughs> that is a that's true protected statement. by the Constitution parents have a right to their kids candy <laughs> This is what it is. Are you ready for this? It's taxes. Oh, yeah. Teach them young. You pay the candy tax. Oh, 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 gotcha. Because you're going to have to pay actual taxes later. Mommy bought your costume. Mommy took you out. Mommy did your hair. Mommy did your stuff. Mommy, this is the mommy candy tax. At my house, there's also the tater tot tax. (laughs) Oh, God, I love tater tots. (sighs) So, yeah, it's taxes. I mean, it's... It makes sense. Right? So the only two things that are inevitable are death and taxes. Even as a child. (laughs) There you go. You got to learn young. I always got the, hang on, hang on. I have to make sure it's not poison. (laughs) (laughs) I I get the first bite. (laughs) Did any of us do the poison, the guy that poisoned the kid? No. I guess uh -uh. we'll save that for next. I thought it was too obvious. (laughs) Well, shoot. I thought that maybe our listeners already knew of that one too. Because we've been doing like some pretty obscure ones that aren't on like the major lists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got a few more for Yay. you. So I'm going to start off with a quote from the criminologist from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. In 1975. <laughs> Love it. Quote, I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey, end quote. Yay! Yay! So, Let's get weird. oddly enough, we're going to start this strange journey in 1957. Yay! Whoa. Oh, spooky! With someone named Betty. So coincidence or spooky? So our first stop is in Utica, Kansas, which in 1950 had a population of around 365. So this is a very, very small town. This story happened about a month before Halloween, but it is suitable for this episode because it involves a haunted house (gasps) and a Halloween party. Ooh. On September 17th of 1957, at an abandoned farm about two miles outside of town, the senior class decided to prepare what they called a spook house or a haunted house to welcome the freshman class. Oh, so kind. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Hazing. Yeah. Basically, yeah. With the assistance of their sponsor, Miss Betty Stevens, who was the English teacher, the upperclassmen decorated the dilapidated farmhouse. They intended to lead small groups of the freshman class through the house and scare them kind of at each turn. Mm-hmm. And then the coup de grace would be the hanging man. Ah. And there's no power in the house, so and the party was being held at night, so they figured that they would succeed in their mission to like really, really scare the lower class. 
Upon hearing of the event, the principal, William Hobart Salee, was concerned, but Mrs. Stevens assured him that under her supervision, nobody was going to get hurt. It was just innocent fun. Principal Salee was really well-liked in the community and very popular among his students, and he, he cared a lot. And he was also even known to, like, chauffeur kids to out-of-town sporting events or, you know, things like that. So, really just a good dude. And he decided not to disappoint the senior classmen, and he even volunteered to be the hanging man. Oh, Ah. no. (laughs) To play the part, Principal Salee blackened his eyes with some burnt cork, and he put ketchup on his face, and then he hung a rope from a light fixture in the kitchen and then suspended himself by stringing it underneath his arms. Okay. And then... As the freshmen were led through the kitchen, one of the seniors would, like, flash a light just up to the upper portion of his body. Yeah. And they would see the hanging man who was dangling there and moaning softly. Was he recognizable as the principal? Uh-huh. Oh, God. That's a lot. I think that's even creepier. Yeah, that's a lot. it's, like, someone that you know and, like, their face is all fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And everyone agreed that the hanging man was the spookiest of all of the haunts that evening. However, the night ended abruptly when Mrs. Stevens went to get a picture of Principal Salee, and she walked into the kitchen and shined her light. Principal Salee was no longer moaning. <gasps> oh, no. He had fallen, and the rope had slipped. No. And around his neck, and he died of strangulation. Holy no. shit. So all of the students that had been through the house had been witness to his slow (gasps) and very painful death. Oh my god, that is... Wait, but it was under his armpits. How did it... Oh my god. It doesn't really explain how that happened, but it (sighs) happened. Oh my god. God, just like spank me. I don't want to see my principal get like strangled as my fucking hazing. They just all thought... I know, but you have like the... You have the knowledge afterwards. Yeah. So there was definitely some, hopefully, well, hopefully there was some counseling going on. I don't know. It was the 50s. It was the 50s. But uh, yeah. Oof. Okay. So our second stop on this strange journey is to Indianapolis, Indiana. This story happened on October 31st of 1963. But oddly enough, the theme of the night was either barn dance slash clock shop or mardi gras slash jazz that's too much pick one okay were they christian well i'm sure there were some christians here so this was an accident and i'll get a little bit more into it but the reason why i brought it up is because like the lack of safety measures Mm. should have been criminal i think Mm mm-hmm On this Halloween night, around 4,000 spectators arrived at the formerly named Indiana State Fairgrounds Coliseum for the opening night of Holiday on Ice. And evidently, this is like a big production. Okay. During the performance, a large propane tank was leaking in a storage pit that was beneath Section 13. Oh, no. And filling the unventilated room. And this was going on for the length of the performance. With three minutes to go, the skaters were preparing for their famous spinning wheel finale when the gas reached an electric popcorn (gasps) machine, causing a massive explosion. Oh my my god. The blast left a 40-foot crater (gasps) in the floor. (gasps) Whoa. So 
Crazy. It blew out one of the walls of the building, and a former uh, news anchor, Howard Caldwell, said after reporting from the scene, quote, piano-sized chunks of concrete were tossed into the air and crashed downward. Oh, God. And with the blast came fire and death, end quote. This is also known as Indianapolis's greatest tragedy. 75 people died and over 385 people were injured in the incident. Oh, Jesus. I know. And I have pictures and stuff. It's pretty... We'll put them on the website. <laughs> I know. It's it's gory. I'll say it's gory. So basically, it's a photo of the arena floor, and then there's, like, bodies that have been oh, laid God. out. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's bad. And then our third stop on this strange journey is in Ferguson Township or State College or University Park, Pennsylvania. It says all three, but basically we're... We're going to Penn State, y'all. Choose your favorite. So Cindy Song was born in South Korea. She moved to the U.S. in the mid-90s to live with her aunt and uncle in Virginia. She attended Penn State University after high school, majoring in integrative arts, which is a combination of engineering, communications, and science. Cindy Hmm. worked two jobs while attending school, and she was in her senior year. On October 31st of 2001, Cindy and her friends went out to a Halloween costume party at Players Nightclub. The girls stayed out till 2 a.m. and then moved the party to a friend's house till about 4. And then her friends dropped her off at her apartment. And that was the last time anyone heard from Cindy. This is the kind of partying that I think I might be too old for. I'm definitely too old for this. We did when Natalia came. Although I I am reminded now that we probably stayed out till 5 that one night with Natalia. We were walking back to our car cars and the sun was coming up <laughs> was that when i like missed the curb and almost fell no oh at a different time great yeah <laughs> okay that was when we were parked over at the amtrak yeah okay so on november 4th 2001 cindy's friends contacted the police to report her missing investigators confirmed that cindy did make it to her apartment because her backpack and her cell phone that she had had earlier were inside the apartment the door was locked and nothing was out of order Hmm. investigators believed that Cindy had gotten home, kind of dropped her stuff, and then left the apartment with her purse and her keys because those were not found. Okay. And then went to, like, a nearby store. However, no calls were made from her phone and there was no activity on her credit card. So, essentially, she just vanished. A few days later, 200 miles away in Philadelphia's Chinatown district, witnesses reported seeing a woman matching Cindy's description that was being dragged, kicking and screaming into a car. A sketch of the man was made by... 200 miles away? Mm Mm-hmm. But investigators were not able to identify the man. Cindy's case was presented on uh, September 18th of 2002 on Unsolved Mysteries. And then in a bizarre turn of events in 2003, a police informant named Hugo Selinski as a suspect in Cindy's disappearance. The informant told police that Selinski and his friend Michael Krakowski had kidnapped Cindy and locked her in a walk-in freezer (gasps) until she died. Oh. When questioned, Selinski admitted to helping Krakowski kidnap Cindy, but said that he was not responsible for her murder and that it was Krakowski. I mean, if you help kidnap her and then you both leave her in the freezer, I think that's kind of it. You should still be culpable. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Solinsky said that Krakowski had kept Cindy's bunny ears that she was wearing that night because she was dressed like a, a bunny as a souvenir. Did Krakowski exist? Yes, okay. he did. Solinsky said that her body was buried in Luzerne County. Search warrants were issued for Solinsky's home and they were obtained and executed on June 5th of 2003. Investigators found five bodies buried what? In the yard. Yeah. It's very Dorothea Puente. In the yard again? Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I had the wow. first yard bitch, but... I probably should have saved this for, like, a full episode as I was, like, delving into it a little bit more. Because this dude is a total wackadoo. I Jesus mean, he's Christ. crazy pants. I mean, we can do an elaboration episode on it. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's insane. This, it, it's just insane. It just kept going and I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I remember coming off, coming across the Cindy song name mm-hmm. when I was looking for my Halloween story and I was like, this page is really long. I'm going to save this one for another yeah. time. <laughs> so yeah, I think we should probably do it. It sounds like a crazy story. It's crazy and there, I mean, there's more to come. I do think we should do like, a cu- couple episodes every once in a while where we're just doing kind of shorter stories as like groups or something. Mm-hmm. But like I said, this dude doesn't have a wiki page or a Murderpedia uh, page. So it's hard not then. have a Murderpedia page. I know, right? Wow. Who runs that site? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and also, I was doing my research around midnight last night. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so basically, here's here's the gist of Mr. Selinsky. So none of the bodies buried in his yard belonged to Cindy. Uh. Investigators did not have enough evidence to charge Selinsky with her disappearance. And they had no proof of her murder. No body, no murder. Right? Yeah. Okay, fine. But did they charge him for the five bodies? We'll get there. Okay. They were not able to prove his involvement at all in Cindy's disappearance, so charges were never filed against him for that. To make things weirder, the person Selinsky named as Cindy's killer, right? Mm -hmm. Mike Krakowski? Well, Mike Krakowski and his girlfriend, Tammy Fassett, were two of the five (gasps) bodies that were buried in the yard. Shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Not Mike Wazowski. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Wow. Jeez. So, Selinsky was already, like, serving time in jail. He had convictions for a 1994 bank robbery. He had convictions for a 2003 home invasion robbery. So, thankfully, it's not like he was just out and about. He was actually in jail. He was in jail. And I was reading this, and it doesn't say that right off the bat. So, then you're like, you're like where the fuck was he? I mean, <laughs> five bodies? Did they let him go get a drink yeah. like Dorothea? Like, oh, my what God, right? Happen? He just wandered away. He's not a sweet old lady. No, and not in a really awesome red coat either. That coat and those pumps? Oof. I know. So thankfully, like I said, he was in jail. However, on October 10th of 2003, he did escape the correctional facility by climbing down a bedsheet rope. That's so, like, old school. I know. Their windows don't have bars on them. Yeah, what the fuck? The fuck? Is this a cartoon? But he did surrender to police three days later. So two of the remaining three sets of remains that were buried in the yard were identified as local drug dealers. In 2006, 
he beat those murder charges. What? It doesn't say how. Okay. That's why, like, if I had maybe some more time to <laughs> yeah. do a deeper dive in here, I don't know how he skated on these murder charges. They were buried in his yard. Yeah. Was he renting? Self-defense? From Dorothea? I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if he has a cookbook. Oh, God. Hopefully not. And the fifth victim or the fifth set of remains has never been identified. Did he get charged, though, for the murder of um, Krakowski and his girlfriend? Yes. Okay. But he was charged and convicted in 2015. So wow. I know. Like, many, many years later, I think it was 13 years because they figured he actually killed them in 2003, and then they were discovered in 2005. So he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. But Cindy Song is still missing, and her case remains open. And yeah, at some point, it would be interesting to revisit Solinsky because he's just fucking crazy. I mean, five bodies. I know. We also don't know who the fifth body is, too. Yeah. That's so, bonkers. So, I mean, maybe developments in DNA technology will aid in that someday, and that fifth victim can finally be laid to rest. Yeah. Are they doing it the opposite direction where they can link, like, ancestry DNA family matches to unidentified, like, John Doe's? I think they are. I mean, there's a lot of really new technology going on right now, especially with the genealogy stuff, but I'm sure at some point, but also like, is there enough DNA from those remains? You know, it was still 20 some years ago. Teeth. That's true. Oh, teeth. Tooth pulp. Mm-hmm. Pulp. But yeah, so like I said, every time I, I just kept reading and it was just like, we were like, what? <laughs> what? Jesus fucking Christ, what is going on here? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this this dude was crazy. So, our final stop on this strange journey, and I, I couldn't leave you with sad stuff, so I wanted to do something a little bit more lighthearted. Yay! But we are headed to Cunningham, Tennessee, which is just outside of Clarksville, and I have never been a fan of clowns. Uh-uh. No. But no. this case, it got a good laugh out of me. <laughs> I LOL'd for sure. So on October 28th of 2016, Candace Creedle, a mother of three, was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct, public intoxication, and making non-emergency 911 calls. <laughs> Sounds like Florida, man. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. She was booked into Montgomery County Jail and held on a $1,500 bond. Candace had one too many (laughs) and decided that it was going to be fun to run in and out of traffic and chase cars (gasps) along Louise Road while partially naked (gasps) and wearing circus makeup. No. I think she had like three too many. Yeah. (laughs) Or four. That's a step. Ah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Where'd she get the circus makeup? I don't know. Okay. Maybe it was, like, from her, one of her kids' costumes uh, or something. I don't know, because it's right around she's, like, Halloween. rubbing lipstick all over her face. She could be. Yeah. yeah. She also called 911 several times and was threatening On and herself? passing nope. at dispatchers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Deputies located Candace at her home where, quote, she answered the door in her sports bra, pajama pants, stocking cap while holding a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't be hungover and keep drinking, right? Right. 
And on a side note, the next road over from Louise Road is Bryant Hollow Road. So shout out to all my Tennessee family because that's uh, Bryant is our, our name over there. How do you say that? It's like my mom's name. <laughs> I don't name. know. It's all their names. Hey. I don't know how you say that. Hi, guys. Is that their holler? Bryant Hollow. Not hollow. That's good. It's like the hollow. It's the hollow road, but like in Tennessee, they call them hollers. I got. I got it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had to read read about that one. Thanks, Crystal. Yeah, you are blacking out hollers. <laughs> like that's back in your brain somewhere to. in a little like lockbox down in the holler. I zoomed in on Google Maps and to see where this Louise Road was, and and I was like, oh look, it's Bryant Hollow Road. <laughs> that's funny. Anywho's, that was my giant rabbit hole that I went down for you guys. So Oh god, I love a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> so happy Halloween. Or Sawen. Sawen. How do you say it? Sawen? Sawen. Spelled Sam Hain. Sam Hain. Sam Hain. Mr. Sam Hain. Sam Hain. Is probably the most well known pagan. Sabbath. And so if you want to go down a more pagan road for celebrations, uh, Samhain is a good place to start. I don't know, Sarah, you might agree. I don't know. I kind of prefer these pagan holidays to more traditional holidays now because they are definitely less commercial. They're less commercial. They're older. They're older. They have more connection to like earth energy. Exactly. Which is kind of cool. It's all about being in tune with the earth and the changing of the season. The other thing, they can be whatever you want them to be. So they can be a very private time for self-reflection or time to get together with friends, especially like-minded friends and kind of do rituals together or whatnot. Like a true crime podcast? Yeah! Yeah. (laughs) Or painting our face with lipstick and running naked through the streets. You know, that might happen when we go to Vegas. Or Hawaii. I've been invited. Mm -hmm. So the pagan celebrations are referred to as the Wheel of the Year. And our high energy days, so they're really good for doing rituals or spells or cleansings or whatever you need to do. So Samhain is considered to be the witch's new year. So it starts the wheel of the year. It's going to fall right in between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. I'm very northern hemisphere brain. So up here, Samhain usually falls when harvest has finished and the ground is kind of barren right now and kind of waiting for reseeding and whatnot. And so as the witch's new year, this is a good time to make some resolutions. Maybe there are bad habits that need to be broken or new attitudes that need to be cultivated. Cleanse yourself like you would cleanse your earth. Exactly. Okay. You can write down what you want to leave behind as this old year dies and start thinking about what positive things you want to start planting into the new year. And it also wouldn't be a bad time to bring out the tarot cards and ask Ooh, yeah. what lies ahead. Ah, for you in this new year. So where's the tarot cards, ladies? Oh, shit. They're in my room. (laughs) I still have a page of cups sitting here, so... Samhain is also the time when the veil between the seen and unseen worlds is at its thinnest, and so some people believe that it 
it is easier to communicate on Samhain with those who have died. Okay. Fun fact, jack-o'-lanterns arose from this belief. So the candle in the pumpkin acts as a beacon to attract the spirits of your dearly departed. And then the grotesque faces carved into the pumpkin are meant to scare away any evil spirits that are wandering around as well. Oh, well, that's good to know because we always do like happy cats on our pumpkin. I did a cat last year. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to bother my extremely conservative Christian relatives, but it's also a good day just to honor your ancestors. Okay. And so I I propped up a little photo of me and my grandma on my altar for this and whatnot. Aw, that's super sweet. I have some crystal stuff. We want to get real witchy. We want to get real witchy? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So, someone's also a time, it's very high energy, so it's a good time to charge crystals again overnight, especially those that represent endings, banishing, and purification, such as black obsidian, calcite, and malachite. So, black obsidian is created when lava cools, so it's known as volcanic glass, and it's not a traditional crystal per se. It doesn't have the crystalline structure, but it is associated with healing and protection as it has the ability to absorb bad vibes. Okay. Malachite is also a strong protection stone while also amplifying your abilities to embrace change. So there may be some things that we need to leave behind that are not so good for us as the Syrians, um, but we keep doing them because they feel comfortable or whatnot. And Malachite can help with the release of the old and the opening of the mind to setting up new habits. We're also having a waning crescent moon Ooh. on the 31st, which is also a good signifier of like things coming to an end. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. So if you have any doors that need closing or things that you just want to like be done with, that's a good time to say goodbye to them. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a good time to close the doors and some things you don't need anymore or that you know are bad for you and you keep doing. You know what those things are. <laughs> <laughs> but as I also say, work on one thing at a time. You can't do it yeah, all at one steps. time. Like you got to if you try it all at one time, you're going to fail. You'll be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. You start and you keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, the last crystal I mentioned was calcite. So it has the ability to amplify and cleanse energy, uh, transform negative energy, and um, connect your emotions to your intellect. So if you feel like you are kind of starting to become too emotional, this is a good crystal to kind of bring you back down to earth. Hannah. It's like my everyday Capricorn. life. With all of your damn en Ugh, uh, emotional energy. I hate it. I have Scorpio <laughs> emotions and a Capricorn heart. Like, what am I going to do? Calcite actually comes in a lot of different colors, and each color has its own strengths. So, for example, orange calcite is uplifting, energizing, and revitalizing. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of these crystals, basically, we say they kind of absorb bad vibes, so they all need to be cleansed occasionally to bring it back down to a neutral baseline. And so this is a great time, Samhain, leaving them out overnight. It's not a full moon, but it's a very high-energy night, so it's a good time to cleanse those crystals. All right, scientists, you can listen back again. <laughs> Sarah, you want to bring us out? Oh, sure. I have my little poem. Yeah. So when is here, cold is the earth, as we celebrate the cycle of death and rebirth. Tonight we speak to those through the veil. The lines between worlds are thin and frail. Ghosts and spirits in the night, magical beings rising in flight. Owls hooting up in a moonlit tree. I don't fear you and you don't fear me. As the sun goes down far to the west, my ancestors watch over me as I rest. They keep me safe and without fear on the night of Sewen, the witch's new year. Yay! 
Awesome. I love that. I do have two squares coming oh, up. Oh, no. When this episode airs, I'm just going to throw them <laughs> out there. bring us down? Right? Yep. Okay. Just so we're aware, right? But if you're you aware of it, aware. it's a roller coaster. You yeah. Guys, then you can make, you, can you prepare. know, take the, take the steps to yeah. maybe avoid some of this. So on Tuesday, October 26, Venus and Sagittarius will be square with Neptune and Pisces. And this is really important for you not to believe everything you hear this day. So homework, be skeptical. Right. Pisces. So I'm a skeptic. Yeah. Are you? <laughs> yeah. That's because you have some chores balancing you out. Sure, sure. <laughs> but People may be exaggerating instead of using actual facts. That's sag. Especially in the romance department. So just kind of beware. And then on, what did you call it? What's the night before Halloween? Mischief Mischief night. Mischief. So on Saturday, October 30th, or mischief night, the sun in Scorpio will be square with Saturn and Aquarius. And this is a difficult combination that can bring pessimism and moodiness. So beware <laughs> that you might be a little bit of a bitch on Saturday my, before uh, Sunday. Those are my baseline emotions. <laughs> We're also having Mars enter Scorpio on the 30th too, which can give you some intuition and strength, but also really powerful desires. Okay. So like, Maybe if you're thinking about necrophilia, don't do it. N- yeah, no. Uh, uh-uh. Yeah. No. <laughs> the Scorpio desire is a strong thing that can be very dark. To be honest, I didn't do astrology on any of the people in mine because I was writing the Sawan thing, but uh, mm-hmm. Joan might be a Scorpio Venus. She sounds like she probably yeah. is. Yeah. Very vindictive. Very vindictive, but she also has something. I mean, Scorpios can kind of manipulate, but there are other signs that are better at it as well. For sure. All right. Well, happy Halloween, listeners. We would love to know what you're dressing up yes. as for Halloween. <gasps> oh, yeah. Or what you're dressing your pet up oh, as. Oh, my was gonna God, say. yes. So yes. please reach out to us. You can contact us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And then check out our website at www.truecrimetrine.com. I've caught up. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.